Mad Men and Tonic testing, testing new microphone. Testing. Testing. Shooting pigeons in the front yard in Ossining. Testing. There's no money in virginity. Testing, testing. (laughs) Coca-Cola. Grace Kelly and Coca-Cola. Yes. More of a artist-muse relationship. Testing. (laughs) (laughs) This is the big league's Don Draper. (laughs) Welcome to Mad Men and Tonic. If you couldn't tell, we got a new microphone, which is to say a microphone for the first time. Um, Also, you might hear in this episode that I am a little less, have a little less strong of diction as usual. I have a orthodontic bracket falling out of my mouth. So I don't, I'm not slurring my words, nor did I develop, you know, a, a speech impediment. I just have... Too many Colorado Bulldogs. No, testing, no, testing. no. Welcome to Mad Men and Tonic, recapping Mad Men one workday cocktail at a time. I'm Christina. And I'm Elias, and we're coming in a little late, but we're coming in hot. (laughs) Yeah, let's just, let's go with that. (laughs) (laughs) We're also hopefully coming in with better audio quality because we finally bought a microphone. Yeah, but this is our first time using it, so we will see how this turns out. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Well, where are we today? Today we are... Well, we're on season one, episode nine, titled Shoot, and we are drinking Colorado Bulldog. Mm. Delicious. It's like a milkshake, in, basically. In honor of our good friends Coca-Cola, who are looming over this episode in a majority of the entire show as yeah. like a dream client. It is the dream. This thing tastes like a dreamsicle also, <laughs> so perfect. Um, it's pretty simple. One part Kahlua, one part vodka, one part cream or milk. I've seen kind of different variations. And then also variations adjusting the proportions. Mix those together, shake it over ice, and top it off in an old-fashioned glass with cola. Yep. Don't have to use Coke. You can use Diet Coke. <laughs> use a Diet Cola, whatever you yeah. want to do. I bet Just it's good with Pepsi, cherry I'm or sure. vanilla cola, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it truly tastes like a milkshake. It's very good. I've had it like before. I feel like it, even though it's named a Colorado Bulldog, I feel like I was very aware of these having grown up in the Midwest. So I don't know if it's kind of a drink from there. Right. And I was born and raised in Colorado and I had never heard of it until I visited Minnesota. (laughs) So there you go. Yeah. But we were not really able to find anything about the origins in the first five Google searches. For the drink that we did, so there's yeah. no way to know. There's no story. It's okay. We'll never know. Just drink a couple and you <laughs> won't care about the origin. So, All right. All right, here we go. Cheers. Cheers. So we open up with the kids playing in the backyard um, with sweet old Polly. And, oh. yeah, and Betty is trimming the hedges looking perfect. Yeah, it's early in these shows, too, and they just make every outdoor suburban scene look like idyllic pleasantville or stepford Mm -hmm. wives basically yeah 
And she has, among other components to her outfit, like black and white polka dot gardening gloves. It's like it's like an American beauty, like the gardening and just like the matching shears to the gloves. Yeah, you're not gardening for gardening's sake. You're gardening to basically show off. To be seen gardening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gotta be in command of that lifestyle. Yeah. But um, the neighbor has like, he raises pigeons yeah. and they fly overhead and the kids are like, oh, mom, look. Yeah, let's snap back to reality. It's not so idyllic. This is just like a city thing, you know? Yeah. I just think of, hey, Arnold, there's a pigeon person. <laughs> That's so gross. Like, um, pigeons Home in your alone to the pigeon yeah, lady, pigeons. you know? I mean, they do get a bad rap, but it's somewhat deserved because they're gross. They're the rats of the air. The rats of the air, yeah. I mean, they, they don't have good PR. We can definitely say that much. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's odd to see them here and just disrupting this idyllic I wonder, intro. too, like, didn't people, there used to be, like, carrier pigeons, so people, I would assume they're, there's something that, oh. he's, the neighbor's probably, like, training them. He's not just, like, keeping them around for the aesthetic. Oh. No, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And, like, they're, you know, supposed to have really good homing, so they're good with directions, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But still, it's kind of weird. Yeah. But at any, at any rate, what's really you know, the important stuff is going to a play at like this bougie, bougie art yeah, center. Opera. If opera I house. Correctly, yeah. Right. Or Broadway yeah. play. Right. But anyway, I think they're at an opera house. Yeah, we didn't look up the play. I did, but oh, we did. sure. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> it's cool, cool, cool. Fiora, Fiorello. How do they pronounce it? Fiorello. I think it's Fiorello. Exclamation point. It's a play about someone. That's like running for and becomes mayor and is reforming politics in in New York City. Right, LaGuardia, Fiorella LaGuardia. Oh yeah, yeah. like as in, the airport name. Yeah. Like, yes, very famous mayor. I didn't know that was what they went to see. If you live in New York, that's really not the kind of play I would want to go see about New York. Yeah. But you know, I, I mean, they look bougie. It, it's you know, it's like tuxedos. It's super and fancy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Don is approached there by someone we learn is Jim Hobart. Is this the first time he showed up? I, I believe his name's been dropped at least. Probably, yeah. We finally meet him. And they find out that, you know, he makes he makes a remark to Don about like, oh, you know, sorry you guys didn't get Israeli tourism, but we're enjoying it over here. So they got, they got that ad campaign. Right. So throwback and yeah, not all these work out, you know, like, like Don Draper dream. Mm-hmm. But what's significant about this is that Jim is like very intrigued by Don, and Jim, we should say, is is the head is a head at McCann, which is one of the big advertising agencies, and is a real firm, mm-hmm. um, a real like worldwide advertising firm. And yeah, he, I love it. He compliments Don repeatedly while still shitting on Sterling Cooper over and over again. Right, because uh, what he's yeah, what he's trying to do is he's trying to undercut Sterling Cooper to talk Don into considering moving firms. He says that he was in a steam room with like the head of Y&R, the head of BBDO, and your name came up. He tells Don, and he's like, three millionaires in a steam room, and you're talking about me? Like, yeah. what's that mean? But it does put into perspective how good Don is. Don's reputation is like pristine around and like he is known by the big agency heads and they want him even though he's like compared to the other like agency leaders he's a pretty young and pretty relatively newer in his career a true wonder kind at Mm -hmm. this point but they they mentioned that jesus statue over rio again too right so again we get that ridiculous 
concept that Don thought of the Christ the Redeemer, but <laughs> obviously he just thought of the, a good slogan for it. Anyway. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I mean, so in the spirit of cutting down Sterling Cooper, Jim's pitch to Don is that you've played in the farm leagues. Now Yankee Stadium is on the line. Right. So it's time to go big. Right. Well, Don's a Mets fan. We'll put it that way. And I believe that's established in the show at later. Is it really? But uh, Don is already skeptical of mm-hmm. Hobart. I think he's just skeptical of all these big league guys. Yeah. Uh, and Hobart takes a different approach as Don and Jim's wife leave to get drinks. Yes. He asks Betty, well, he says, besides getting the handsome prince, are you an actress or something? And she says that she's a housewife, but... You know, admits that she's did she's done some modeling ages ago. Right. This is just you know a classic. We've already seen Betty struggle with like kind of being contained and not really yet fully being comfortable with this suburban housewife role. And so that's like just something you'd think of an unhappy wife saying like, "I used to model. I used well, to be a model." Yeah. I think she wants to brag too. And then sure. he tells her, and this will come up again. Like, did anyone ever tell you that you look like Grace Kelly? It's hard to beat that comparison. That's for sure. In terms of, like, a compliment. Yeah. She's like, oh, they used to. And it's like, you're 28. Like, they (laughs) they probably did as recently as the other day. Like, just stop. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But it's classic Betty, you know. Downplaying it in public. Mm Mm-hmm. Being a good public uh, conversationalist. Yes. Yes. Very polite. Um, But eventually, you know, he says we're doing... Some new ads for Coca-Cola. I think that, you know, you might be the look that they want. And he gives her his card. Wow. So right here, you, you kind of want got to wonder. I mean, Betty's great looking and does resemble Grace Kelly. Mm-hmm. Is immediately, is your thought this is uh, a leverage play? Or do you think he's actually trying to cast her? I mean... Or encourage her? I don't know. I mean, I think it's just a little too coincidental for mm-hmm. it to just be you know oh we were looking for someone exactly like you and you happen to be the wife of the person that we're courting for a job right so and uh, we get that uh car ride home which we now know what don thinks about this oh yeah well he's i mean overall he's not impressed with jim he's like he's talking business because he's boring and then betty's like well he gave me his card and asked me about modeling and First, he thinks it's like more of a kind of a come on. He's like, oh, yeah, I bet he did. Right. First thing into Don's head, he's hitting on you. Second thing into Don's head, it's about me. Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, well, no, like he actually, you know, he mentioned Grace Kelly and that you have to admit that's the type I am, basically. And she's like, am I that wrong for Coca-Cola? And gives him like this cheesy smile. And he's like, no, you're not wrong for anything. Or she giggles even, which is weird because it seems like she's, that's like a upset type of comment, you know? But then she laughs right Yeah, after. yeah, yeah. So. And they're driving a sweet old Buick, by the way, <laughs> which has the button, like the actual push buttons for the radio in each one of the presets spells Buick on it. Very cool. Sweet. Yeah. And they're just cruising home. Probably dry, drunk driving yeah. again, as usual. They've come home from the city, and they come home for the play. Then, like, the next day, Francine has come over to chat with Betty, and she asks how the play was, and... Yeah, the peak of the suburban scene so far is Betty and Francine's conversations, oh, yeah. generally. Always. <laughs> Always good. And she mentions... That they ran into the head of an agency, and he's, like, going after Don and trying to get him to 
to move, basically. Right. And, of course, the conversation switches to, you know, the Coca-Cola and the modeling. Yeah. She tells Francine that Don basically said that Jim was trying to sleep with one of us and he didn't like the idea of either. Which is quite an, <laughs> quite an embellishment on Don's comments, but... It's a good you know, line, though. Yeah. You know. Like, Betty often embellishes when she's recounting things to Francine to make her life seem more interesting. But it's not inaccurate. I yeah. mean, she's like, he was shooting a shot here. Either way, he could. Yeah. You know, direct through Don or he's going to try and make a move on me. Yeah. And she's like, well, you know, I did model in the past. And Francine is like, I didn't know, but I'm not surprised. Yeah. Like, yeah, Betty, we know you're the perfect, like, most beautiful one in the suburb. You don't have to rub it in, but... She says that her husband, Carlton the Creep, also has made the Grace Kelly comparison. Yep. And then we get to go see Betty's modeling. Uh, yeah. Betty apparently was, like, the muse for some Italian designer when she was, like, studying abroad. Right. Okay, Betty. And his name was... Of course you were. His name was Giovanni, but he liked to go by Johnny. Mm Mm-hmm. This is suggestive of someone (laughs) that was, you know... A very famous fashion designer. Yeah, but I don't think that the time, the ages. The time up. frames do not line yeah. up. I looked it up. And he didn't become famous. We're talking about Versace, of course. He didn't become yeah. big, really big until the 70s. Yeah. But, and you can tell when you look at how those clothes look. Right. But this dress doesn't necessarily say we're not Versace style. No, it, it is. It is loud. <laughs> and and so, yeah, she's showing. she takes out like 10, 10 dresses out of her closet and is like, oh, yeah, like, these are the ones that he gave me when I was his muse, basically. And she puts one on that's just, like, it is very, very bold and, um, like, out there. Yeah, it's really short for 1960. It tiny. It's got pockets. It's, like, red satin with, like, blue, big blue lapels and blue pockets. And it's kind of got that, like, floral imprinting on the satin. Looks great. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, Francine, she sees the dress, but she's equally shocked that it was a muse artist relationship and that not even petting, no petting. Yeah, like you didn't have to fuck to get this dress. Nope, just got it for free. Betty, just living that charmed life. Yeah, you live. And that's like study abroad. It's like, yeah, that's not really relatable to anyone else. Right. The summer after college. Yeah. Even less relatable. Just reliving some glory year memories. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. Which. Something that the show does that I didn't realize this first season is it parallels Pete and Betty over and over and over. We saw it in New Amsterdam when they were both struggling with their lifestyles. Mm -hmm. And now here we see Betty rehashing the good old days, you know, before dawn. And uh, there's going to be a lot of parallels here with Pete again, which is really interesting to me. I'm still trying to figure out what the... uh, the significance of that is, but... I mean, I think some of it is, like, dissatisfaction with, like, they fit into, like, what's been expected of them. In his case, having a job in Manhattan and getting married. In her case, being a housewife. And it's, like, not satisfying to them yet. Right. And we'll see why a bit later. But we will touch on this theme over and over. Um, it's something to have a drink about because the characters are so different and so distinct as characters. But their parallels are there. Um, yeah. And that's when we move forward to Don's office, uh, where he gets a box. Yeah. And he's, like, nervous at first, I think, because he had received, like, 
letters and stuff from Adam, and so he's probably worried that it's more of the same of that. Right, and it says secret and confidential on it, and it's like in big capital letters, Mm -hmm. which uh, kudos to Peggy for not opening it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But he opens it, and it's a membership to the New York Athletic Club, courtesy of our new favorite frenemy, Jim Hobart. Yeah. And I'm sure that that is not cheap. No. I, I, I mean, it's the preeminent club there. It's been there forever, right? And yeah. Yeah, I mean, these days, oh, shit. $8,500 fee off the bat, $3,000 annually. But it's not, yeah. So, But it is invite only. So, yeah. I mean, they don't need to charge that money because of who goes there, probably. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You get invited, you're in that crust. And this calls back to... Cooper describing Pete's family a bit and mm-hmm. how they're in that level. Even if they're not rich, they're still at that level. This is kind of one of those places that probably caters to the elite. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and like yeah, Jim just time. buys him a membership without checking with him, just gets him in. And the note, he sends like a towel, the note with the membership card, and then it says, welcome to the club. Fuck. Yeah. I could write some copy for one of those. Yeah, dude. Jesus. But, I mean, it shows you how, who Jim Hobart is. This right. is, like, and who Don Draper is. He's worth this. Yeah. All right. And um, so he calls Jim to, you know, acknowledge that he's received this. And he says, you know, thanks for the gesture. And he, Jim is blunt. He says it's not a gesture. It's an overture. Right. Like. But, yeah, he calls him and they talk about, you know, what he's offering. He's yeah. like, again, let me reiterate, Sterling Cooper sucks. You're hitting your ceiling there. McCann Erickson, we can get you whoever you want. Yeah. And he gets specific about, like, what the agreement would look like. He says that he can give them him a $35,000 contract for three years. And that's, like, $300,000. So we're talking big money. Right. With the security uh, of the contract, of Mm -hmm. course, and with the stock. Yeah. Aspect, because yeah. they're a publicly traded company. Right. Um, and he's like, I bet that Sterling hasn't let you crack thir- 30 yet. And Don says, no comment. And yeah. that's like 260000 Oh, no. Like, Things oh, are so hard. Yeah. But yeah, and he's just kind of making the same pitch about, you know, we can do more. We can do bigger. Yeah. You should it, come to, to our place. It's the same old, same old. And it kind of, you know, reiterates Don point, Don's point about this. Guys... All business, there's not a lot of creativity in these pitches. They're the same. I mean, he sounds good saying it, but it's the same pitch he made at the opera. Um, well, but he tells him that, you know, the a couple of the specific big clients that they have are Coca-Cola and Pan Am. And he says, Can you imagine the lifestyle that goes with handling Pan Am? It's a panty dropper. This was a different era. <laughs> this is the stewardess era, I feel like. And... Where they specifically did market air travel as having, you know, the like, wim- like attractive women serving you. You and might that was be like, able to bang a model level uh, stewardess if you fly Pan Am. Yeah, that was like part of the advertising. <laughs> yeah, so. it's a constant in 60s advertising, it seems, is like appealing to men's delusions. Yeah. And I think it's a constant in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s, today. 10s, and 20s. <laughs> yeah. So. But, I mean, you know, we know today that flight attendants are not paid enough for what they do. They deal with horrible people. They deal with, like, difficult situations all day. And they, 
you know, or they some, I mean, I think they are kind of expected to have us to maintain appearances, not to the same level, but it's a tough, it's a tough gig. For I can't, sure. I can't even imagine. Plus you're flying everywhere all the time. Oh. Yeah. Your time, your sleep schedule's all messed up, your time zones. So kudos to the flight attendants. <laughs> yeah. Cheers to the we flight We don't, attendants. yeah. You, you guys help keep the travelers sane for sure. So we just stopped to get another drink after chugging ours in commemoration of the flight attendants and yeah. the work they do. And now we get to jump into Betty's therapy. Yes. In one of the most finally important scenes of the episode. <laughs> and once again, Betty says, you know, I was a model to her therapist because she's got to make the point known. Yeah. she. <laughs> it's clear in these last few episodes, ever since the Mother's Day episode, she's feeling less... Uh, connected to connected her. and attractive it seems like yeah or just um, more concerned about her dealing with some identity issues yeah I think. but she tells us the story of how she met don wow finally we were, we were wondering we did we brought that up earlier yeah um go ahead and tell the story Ugh. so what a dream she was modeling of course she was doing a job for a fur company and we learned that Don was a copywriter at the fur company. Yeah. So this is pre-Sterling Cooper. And you think Sterling Cooper's small time compared to Jim Hobart. Yeah, he's like in-house at a fur spot. Which, so. yeah, this is like the fur heyday, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before, before the red paint started coming out. Yes. So still, seems pretty low stakes. But I guess we've got that vibe from Don's flashbacks, too. Yeah, he, humble beginnings. He came from nothing, yeah. Um... But she, and she was wearing a Russian blue fox coat, which, you know, I mean, furs are all high-end luxury all items. Rage, yes. yes. Um, and she says that he could tell, he saw that she didn't like giving the coat back at the end of the shoot. And that was always the hardest part of modeling is having to give the clothes back. I can believe it. Yeah. Um, he asked her out and she liked that he wasn't shy, but she said no. And then three weeks later, the coat that she'd worn showed up at her apartment. Wow. Classic Don, right? This is yeah. the same guy that, and you know, Betty wonders what he had to do to get the coat. Cause, Cause like, obviously he wasn't at a point where he could just afford that for <laughs> someone he wasn't even dating. Right. But it's safe to say he could have taken out, you know, a second loan on his apartment or something. Because of how we've seen Don handle money in the show so far. He's given away $7,500 in, in, yeah. in the eight episodes we've watched yeah. so far. So it's not a far-fetched to say he probably just, like, just bought some, it yeah. on credit and uh, gave it to Betty. Yeah. Which still, what a I mean, gesture, what a, what right? a Yeah, what a move. But she, and then she's like, you know, then I had a few more jobs modeling. And then we got engaged. Or I got... Well, how does she say it? She says... I got engaged, then I got pregnant. Now, on one hand, she might just be, like, saying it all part and parcel. Like, I got engaged and married, and then we had kids, or we got pregnant really shortly after. Or is she saying that they got pregnant before getting married? I didn't, I didn't get that vibe at all. I just thought it was, like, snap, snap, snap. And we know... The show is one of unreliable narrator after unreliable narrator. So who knows exactly how quick the succession, the succession was True. of those events. But I didn't get the vibe that it's like shotgun, shotgun. Not shotgun, but like, you know, we had to get married quick. Anyway, I don't know. But, 
Yeah, and that was the <laughs> the love story. Um, then then they, we get to jump into a hate story, basically. Yeah, uh, about how she, now that she thinks about how long ago that was, she feels old. Her mom was always concerned about looks and weight. And ding, 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 here's another Pete's Campbell Betty parallel issues with their parents disliking their jobs. Yeah. Uh, now we've heard Betty basically talk about how close she was with her mom repeatedly. Yeah. And how beautiful her mom was in all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, now we finally get something that's kind of a dark side uh, story where her mom hated, wanted her to be pretty and beautiful all the time. But not a model. Right. And she, yeah. Yeah. Called her a prostitute. Yep. For modeling. Yep. So, I mean, the parallel can't be any closer than Pete's dad calling him a, a pimp. Yeah. For his job. Right. Um, even though both of them are very lucrative. Yeah. Which and they're ex- both, like, you know, well-suited to the jobs that they had. Yeah. Which is, and good at them, I'm sure. Yeah. Which is why Betty says, I mean, Susie Parker made $100,000. Which is wild. You know, um, an early supermodel and... Yeah, perspective check. Don's just got offered 35000 And that's a big... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so she's like what the, the Cindy Crawford of her day. Like so she's a real fire. person. Yeah, It yeah, wasn't yeah. just one of yeah, Betty's yeah. roommates. Okay, no. I didn't know... Real I guess mo- I didn't real know model. that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and her mom... <laughs> her mom used to tell her, though, that before she was modeling, I guess... This goes back to the, the story that Betty told about that she was a quote-unquote chubby kid. And she's like, and I've always eaten a lot. And I like hot dogs. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's tough when you like junk food. Yeah, hot dogs. Hot dogs. I mean, Can't that's, get more American than that. That's right? not the one I'd pick right away, but yeah. Hey, you like what you like. Yep. And then finally, the therapist talks. Yeah. You're angry at your mother, he Boom. proclaims. Boom. And she's offended immediately. She's pissed. She says, you've said nothing, and now this is what you say. You're just trying to get a rise out of me. Which, maybe, but... And then he says, tell me more about that. Right. It's <laughs> like, God. Yeah. He's a dick. Yeah, and who knows what Don said, too, about her dealing with her mother. We don't know. We get the impression that they're calling after every meeting. Oh, Don's yeah. Don's calling. So, yeah. who knows what... Has been planted in the therapist's mind, yeah. But yeah, Betty is very angry. And but she's she kind of tries to defend her being by saying that she wanted me to be beautiful so I could find a husband. Right, and not work. You know, it's kind of that old school thought process of like working is below women. Yeah, women's work is at home, which obviously Betty's not satisfied with that. But she feels that she she's supposed be. to be. Yeah, Yeah, because exactly. that's what, you know, the ideal of the era was. Right. But then she's like, you know, and so what? Like, I get married and then I just sit and smoke and then until I die, like, what? what is this? And it... Well. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, well. Betty, that is going to prove true. Then at Sterling Cooper, they are watching an ad for Kennedy that is... Jackie O speaking in Spanish about him as a candidate. It's a bizarre ad, but obviously Kennedy's campaign is pretty revolutionary and appealing to um, diverse diff- voters. Yeah, diverse yeah. voters. And let's just say, does this work out well for him? A little missile crisis happens with some Spanish-speaking constituents uh, pretty quickly into his office. So, but anyway... I mean, obviously he's trying to appeal to a growing Hispanic yeah. vote. Spoiler alert. 
Kennedy does become president of the United States in 1960. <laughs> yeah. So these ads are going to prove... What? <laughs> <laughs> these ads are going to prove, you know, to be part of an effective campaign. And Don just doesn't get this. He says that. Well, but everyone's silent after they watch it because it's so different. And they're like, oh, shit. Like, do we need to be worried about this kind of thing? Right. And we don't know if Don doesn't get politics or if he doesn't get the ad angle. I mean, the ad angle seems pretty straightforward. But but what's crazy is that we find out they're airing these in the so-called 50-50 states, which are Texas, New Jersey, and Illinois. Fast forward to 2020, and I'm trying to think of three states that could be less 50-50 than I, these three. I can't imagine Outside of te- California. the last time Texas was a 50-50 state. Right. <laughs> and, well, it comes down to Nixon in 68 after the Civil Rights Movement mm-hmm. when when most of the Democrats were Southern Democrats, they switched parties because of the Civil Rights Movement. Oh. So California, back in the day, and even well into the 90s, was largely Republican, and it switched over uh, to being overwhelmingly Democrat. The same thing happened in all the Southern states that used to vote Democratic. Hmm. Um, until, and this is when Nixon, Nixon basically dog whistles them in 68. And that's when, spoiler alert, he becomes president. <laughs> you guys, I just want you to know what's um, coming up in America's history. And he calls it the silent majority. Because those are the voters that don't necessarily want to be outspoken about their feelings about race. But it's pretty clear they were disappointed when the Civil Rights Acts passed in the mid-60s. And they switched parties. And it's been that way ever since. Yeah, and those same people are silently letting people get killed by cops, so... And they were doing it then, too. Yeah. Um, so. America's political situation is a cesspool. If uh, anyone can hear this outside of America, please come and extract us from this Somebody come get us. <laughs> please. <laughs> we are desperate to leave. Um. Um, <laughs> God. Um, yeah. Well, Don, but basically they're like, you, we need to get rid of this. But Pete... And Pete's remark, of course, is like, I can hear that finishing school voice. Yeah. Like, you know. It's like, I know this she is, She is just as upper crust as Kennedy's family, you know. Yeah, and is that a shot at her, or is that like a, they know what they're doing by putting her Yeah, I don't know, but it's, it's true, and um, the... <laughs> it's a secret weapon. Jackie was a secret weapon. For oh them. yeah, I mean, I can't think of you know in previous. I guess I don't really know much about previous presidential campaigns, but like she was definitely the most like forward facing first lady in a social like context. Yeah, yeah. as far as I know, I you know I, I mean, don't. Eleanor know. Roosevelt was pretty well. Eleanor known Roosevelt was and like, like, but she was like doing political yeah, stuff too. She, she was, was in the mix. Yeah, this is like that. This is that mid fifties early 60s like first lady yeah yeah you know, that whole vibe of they're supposed to be there help out however they can but not do anything the or lady say anything of the house of the white house yes exactly and as sal says women are gonna hate sal thinks that women are gonna hate her because it's like your be- better looking sister married a congressman and got to live in the white house <laughs> which is a pretty um astute there's so much observation there's so much disdain for the kennedys in this show so far because I think they. A lot of people do think they're just pretty boys, you know, like mm-hmm. pretty I mean, popular kids. He's like the youngest president we ever had. Mm, no, nope. second, Teddy Roosevelt was younger when okay. he came into office. But he was but like a hard he's, thirty-five. He was. <laughs> he had a hard uh, life. I think he was forty-five. How old was Kennedy? 
No, I think he was 45. Kennedy. Oh, really? Ken- don't forget, Kennedy fought in World War II, which was yeah. 15 years before this. So I think yeah. he was born in 1917. So that would make him 43. How old is he? Pretty young still. Teddy Roosevelt. We're doing research. Christina loves to prove me wrong sometimes. <laughs> I like to literally interrupt this podcast to Google search. Teddy Roosevelt was born in 1858, became president in 1901. So he was 42. So it's close. Yeah. But like I said, he, Kennedy was like 40, but Teddy Roosevelt was like a hard 40. Like he, you know, the Rough Riders. Right? That was him. That was him, yes. Um, he had a, a tougher life, so your age wears on your face. The sun. I, mean, I was not, we did not get into best looking presidents. This is a debate for one of our bonus episodes at some point, I think. But, uh, I mean, it's obvious this is a TV president. Yeah. The first TV yeah. president. He is the hottest president. So. Anyway. Um... Diatribe, diatribe over there brought to you by... Whatever you want it to be brought to you by. Yeah. Colorado Bulldog. <laughs> Kahlua. Straight. <laughs> then Don comes home and Betty is in one of her cute little 90s in like a satin headband. And she's basically going to tell Don that she wants to go forward with this go see for the Coca-Cola ad. Yeah. Don's not happy about it. But he's not, like, you know, he's not forbidding it. He's he's just kind of trying to make his, like, nervousness known that, like, you know, is this going to make you not cook my dinner? And also it puts him in a tough position because it, now it means if he doesn't take the job, he knows that it's like that a, this is a leverage play. I yeah, think, but I don't know that Betty is he's like not gonna, as... No, he definitely doesn't. He brought it up in the car, but only barely. And he definitely doesn't bring it up here. And he doesn't fight that hard. He says, is there even a point of fighting here? If yeah. you want to do this, do he's it. Like, but he's like, you really want to go back to work? And she's like, I think it'd be like fun to like go into the city and like be that girl. Yeah. You know? So she's little, just trying to get a little of her spark back. Right. Exactly. And it's clear from her therapy, she didn't ever wanted to leave the city. But it's not a place for kids. Yeah. So you, Don doesn't fight it, though. Yep. I mean, this could have been a blow-up, but yeah. basically, it's like, go ahead, go right in. Yeah, so she is resolved to do it. Um, At the office, Peggy is, like, at her desk, and she leans over, and her skirt rips, huge rip down the side seam. Yeah, this is, like, cartoon yeah. style rip. Like, if it was a man and it was shorts, it'd be like, you'd see the little heart shape, the heart, <laughs> yeah. heart boxers underneath. <laughs> It's yeah. like, yeah, a big rip. Um, and she, so she kind of is panicking. She goes into the break room and Joan and the switchboard ladies are there. Yeah, and you can see that the switchboard ladies, the excitement of the job has worn off. Um, for Lois for already. Lois, yeah. She's like, they told me it would happen, but I didn't believe it. I'm bored. I'm bored of listening to all these phone conversations. Yeah. And then... Immediately as Peggy comes in, the switchboard woman realize what's going on and they leave. They book it out. Which is like a weird, tense conversation with Joan and Peggy. Because Peggy is, what she's done is she's done like the wrap your sweater on your waist. And so Joan assumes she got her period. Because that's like the classic, like if you had had a, had a issue with your 
period coming unexpectedly. That's like the stereotypical thing that someone would do is wrap a sweatshirt around. How does Joan put it? Are you having one of those days? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously. She's like, this isn't helping your silhouette. Rude. This is a lot of tension in this episode between Joan and Peggy. Mm Mm-hmm. But Joan eventually says, you know, I have a spare outfit. You can borrow it. Yep. And so they go off to, to get that. Then Roger comes into Don's office with a set of golf clubs. Oh, Roger. Man, there's a lot of delusion in this episode. <laughs> and uh, we find out that he he knows he knows what's going on. Yeah. He's like... Because who has sent those clubs but yeah. Jim. But he also thought they were for him. At first. So <laughs> who knows why, but... Yeah, God. So he comes in and he's upset. Yeah. He's like... Are you leaving? But he tells Don, he's like, usually, you know, or he's like, I, I've lost people before. Usually it had to do with my unexpressed confidence. So he says that he's one in a million. You're doing a good job. Like, buddy. don't forget, yeah. we like you here. And he's like, I mean, that bonus was supposed to prevent you from leaving us. And Don is like, how do you know about that? And, and also Don probably had forgotten about the bonus because he just gave it away. Yeah, he's like, what bonus? To some beatniks. So... Uh, <laughs> It's it's tough, but it's clear that they're worried, and now we know what the yeah. bonus what the bonus is actually for. Roger seems like tense. Yeah, and he leaves saying, "I'm taking this personally." And yeah. we know their relationship is close, but that's a weird thing to say that it's taking taking it personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know your mentee is or whatever you want to call Don is thinking about leaving. Yeah. Um, we'll get more background on this eventually as well. Don, and Don's kind of just toying with him a bit. With him and with Jim on both sides, he's like, I don't know if I'm going to leave. I don't know if I'm going to stay. Yeah, he has that guarded playfulness mm-hmm. that where he, you know, can speak around actually saying anything. He's not he's not giving anything away to Roger. No. And I think that pisses Roger off too a bit. Right. And, you know, <laughs> but Roger tries to, he tries to kind of give counterpoints. And Don's like, you know, he's offering me like these big, like worldwide accounts. And Roger's like, well, it's like, it's talent that brings in that type of account, not just like the size of the company. And we can like market you in your skill here to get more. And he says, you know, that Pan Am, I'm sure you're imagining imagining being holed up in London at the Dorchester with three stewardesses. It ain't like that. Yeah. Really it's you're more doing... like hopping flight to flight. To yeah, you're doing like pitch. a red eye to like, you know, make a coupon. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, again, Don leaves it an unsettled place for Roger. And so Roger knows he's going to have to step it up to make sure Don is happy. Yeah, no resolution here. Um, and then we get to hear even more about this possibility because the rumors have spread around the office which i don't even know how probably because roger did something yeah he probably was like the golf clubs Mm -hmm. yeah Um, and threw the card and then they grabbed the card and looked at it i'm sure regardless this is just a the floors are stained with tea in this office (laughs) being spilled because things just travel so quickly yeah and uh, we get to see the rat pack talk a bit about how they feel uh, you know they're Pete's, Pete wants is like let him go. Pete's but. bitter, yeah, but they're like, man, like, have you heard? Like, he's getting courted by McCann, and like, you know, aren't you? You're unsurprised because he's such a magical yeah. presence here. And Pete tries to posture, but everyone's like, we know you love him and look up to him. Everyone does. Yeah, everyone. He's likes the best him. like yeah. talent in this office, and like, <laughs> they're like, I, they're like, what would you be leaving for? More money? I hear he's already making thirty. 
So we're kind of getting a frame now. Yeah. And Pete's like, like, Pete says he's not 10 times better than me. And we're like, yeah, Pete, we know you're only making three. Yeah. (laughs) God, what a a gap. That is a huge gap. And this is, remember Pete last episode said once Don, Roger, and... Cooper Freddy. Are, and Freddie are out of the office. He's I'm next charged. in charge. Like, no, you're not. You just cannot believe that no, to be true. That's right? not true. But then, you know, they watch Peggy walk by and she's 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 in Joan's new outfit at this point, but they are remarking that, you know, they think that she's gained some weight and they th- feel that it's a shame. <laughs> just another classic rat pack conversation where yeah. they just because, of course, you're, like, entitled stuff. to, like, look at people that look a certain way at your job. Right. Okay. But notice Pete says nothing. He chooses not to engage in this conversation. So mm-hmm. we kind of wonder where Pete's head is because we always wonder where Pete's head is a bit. Yeah. Um, but he th- is the one that remains silent between the four of them as they're talking about Peggy. And, yeah, now this scene makes it very clear that this plus the dress-ripping scene – that Peggy's gaining weight. Yeah. And I, I guess it, it wasn't made abundantly clear. I mean, they're not, here, you know, the, it's still, it's not like they're doing anything like distasteful yeah. with the costuming or the makeup. No. Trust, so. trust the Rat Pack guys to uh, make to the obvious. Yeah. Make something that could have been subtly figured out obvious. Yeah. Uh, to the viewer. That's kind of their function half the time is to like be the Greek chorus of this, yeah. the shitty Greek chorus that was <laughs> made in the 60s. Yep. Betty goes in for her go-see, wearing the opposite of what you wear to a go-see. But I, apparently this is what they did in, like, the 50s. It's like a circus tent. It's a beautiful dress. <laughs> it's like something you see at the Nutcracker when all the little kids come out under the mom, mother marzipan or mother butterscotch, <laughs> whatever her name is. <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's, it, it's just, like, a big crinoline silhouette, and, like, it's a black satin dress with like a big pink bow on the bodice and pink and white kind of striped pleats it's gorgeous she's overdressed but everyone else <laughs> wearing like cigarette pants and like <laughs> tiny blouses right and we have have we seen betty in pants i don't think that's happened right? um well she was wearing them gardening only at the house right. she'll wear them around the house or to the supermarket or yeah but we can tell that that is not her style especially no. at these no she's a glamour girl and apparently this is what yeah apparently this is what they used to do now tyra would tell you for go see that you should be wearing jeans heels a black or white tank top, your hair pulled back, and minimal, very minimal makeup. Because you want to be a blank canvas for the designer to imagine their works on. And mm. nude underwear. Well, there you go. There's your fashion lesson of the day. There's your America's Next Top Model lesson. <laughs> every season they have to go through, and every season people wear the wrong stuff to go sees. Right. So would, you, so would you say she wore the wrong thing here? I mean, technically yes, but you can't. On the other hand, fault this. She's not going for a fashion designer, so she's not going to offend anybody by wearing a different design. Right. And no, it comes out, <laughs> and guess who comes out? Jim Hobart. Personally. Yeah. So, and his, no brother, and his brother-in-law. And his brother-in-law, <laughs> yes. Uh, who's the art director. Yeah. And they're like, uh, she's like, I'm sorry, I overdid it. Things have changed, you know, a few years out. and But the brother-in-law is like, uh, you are a vision. So. <laughs> so, yeah. Then we cut back again. Yeah. To Pete and Harry in their in Pete's office. They're trying to like mull over this 
this situation, they have this Secor laxative ads that they have to do. Pete's like, you know, it's not even, they're not even fun about it. And then they are reminiscing on their college days, right. their here's, animal house. Here's days. your next Pete Betty uh, parallel. Mm-hmm. Didn't we just hear Betty earlier reminiscing about her glory days? And here's Pete talking about his fraternity days when they were the cut ups. Yeah. It's like him yeah. and Harry. It's like, you two? This was no, the furor, the fraternity guy of the 50s. Oh, Lord. These are, like, at in Animal House, these are the guys in the rival frat, like, with Niedermeyer and, you know, Greg and all those, you know, right. jerk guys. But that these are guys like seem really even waspy. less competent, but I, who knows? Anyway, it seems like they were just talking about some pranks, and it gives Pete a great idea. Yeah, they're talking about this thing where they the rival frat was like doing a beauty pageant and but they're at the same time their frat dog had died and they were gonna do a funeral, so they like did this funeral parade like across by the beauty pageant to like make the girls cry. Right. Because there was a, a dead Dalmatian being pulled in a, in a wagon. And this strikes Pete with some inspiration where he says, Well, what if we do this exact same thing? And buy up a bunch of airtime in those three swing states. For Secor, which we, need to, buy, which we need to buy airtime yeah, for anyway. We're going to do this. But now let's focus on those markets to block out Kennedy's ads. Yeah. Because Nixon's already got his money there. And Kennedy's going to keep trying to take up the space. Right. So now let's put it in laxative commercials. And it's kind of a just a pranky kind of thing. But it's like a, it. yeah, it's like a inspiration spark. And even Crane's like, damn, like. That's this is an funny. idea, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, they're kind of on, on the high of this idea, and that's how they leave it. To be continued, for mm-hmm. sure. So at home, Dawn is, like, laying down, tired, <laughs> on the couch, and Betty comes back from having answered the phone, and she said it was for her, and she <laughs> got the gig. She's the girl with the cola. Coca-Cola. Big get. Yeah. Way to come back into the biz right off the bat. Yeah, right? seriously. But she's like, she immediately has to reassure Dawn. She's like, it's only for a few days. You and know. I'll bang you on the couch. And uh, that, Yeah, that's basically <laughs> that's the concession a, that she makes is like, you know. She's <laughs> like, good, okay, we'll good, go like have sex downstairs. Good reassurance tactic for sure. But she's clearly very excited. She's like, I know you're not happy, but I know you're a little proud of me. You know. Yeah, and I think Dawn's pretty genuine. Here he's just like, yeah, of course. I'm yeah, glad you're happy. I want you, you know, to be happy, and it's cool that my wife's still a model. <laughs> yeah, it can't hurt my status, right? Yeah. Um. Then the next day, it's like Betty's at another shoot, and so the kids are being babysat by the neighbor who's just passed out, and they're like running laps around her. It's Ethel. I don't know. Yeah. Some old older old lady, lady yeah. in the neighborhood. <laughs> um. But then the neighbor is like. He's let the pigeons out. He's calling them back. And as they're being, they're flying back in, Polly jumps up with, like, the worst CGI ever and it, chomps a pigeon out of the sky. It has to be the worst shot scene in the entire series. Yeah. I mean, it is, like, a green screen type thing in the background with this... You doesn't even it doesn't even look like a real dog coming up biting yeah. this pigeon that was already almost in its mouth. It's a disaster of a little scene. I don't know. It's yeah, it's bad. It looks like it looks like when um, in the Sandlot when the kids like see Hercules or the Beast as they know him at that point chomp the ball like from across the fence and it's like this it's what they're imagining so it's like a giant dog puppet and it looks like terrible but that's on purpose but right. here it's like just. Yeah, how it's edited. I don't know. It's weird. Because we see the pigeons fly up into the air, and somehow Polly can jump and grab one. 
I, it just doesn't make much sense. Uh, but the neighbor, the neighbor is pissed, and he says if he sees his dog, that dog in his yard again, he's going to shoot it. And the kids like are super upset. They run inside crying. Right? Who? Oh man! Who yeah. says that kind of thing to a kid? I'm going to shoot your dog. Yeah. God. So th- this neighbor's a mess. Yeah. And uh, get these pigeons out of here. All I can say. I hope Polly takes them all out at some point. <laughs> And then Don gets back home, and he's like, oh, I'm glad you got back in one piece. He gives everyone a kiss on the forehead, and, like, Sally's looking pretty down, but nobody notices it because they're bad parents. Yeah. <laughs> they only care about themselves. Yeah. Um, and she's like, yeah, you know, I met Jim again, and then it was Ronnie was the art director, and she's like, he... Don, like, recognizes him by name. He's like, oh, yeah. Like, I know Ronnie him. Gittridge. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, Big name. Yeah. But he's like, man, he was such a character and had such funny stories and i wonder like the way it was being played is that he was gay and like kind of using like flamboyant persona and like you know actions and stuff but you know they don't either a have the vocabulary to describe something like that or b like wouldn't think to necessarily acknowledge that right and also we're getting she's this... like, he's so funny getting he's this... got the funniest yeah. stuff yeah and we're getting this thing from mad men that like now we're two for two art directors. I don't know what they're trying to imply there, mm. um, either. Yeah. But yeah, I mean it doesn't phase either of them. They don't care. But I don't know if like they either of them like acknowledge it or knew it even. I don't. They yeah, just think no. he's like you know has peculiar terms term turns of phrase. Well, it's just like with Sal, they don't acknowledge it or yeah recognize it either. Um, we don't even know if they know. But this guy was, you know, seemed a lot more comfortable than Sal would. Right. Well, that's why he's at the big agency, right? That's <laughs> yeah. why he's at the... Well, he's also the brother-in-law of one of the Jim. directors. So you wonder if, like, he has a little bit more kind of clout and job security, so he doesn't need to hide who he is as yeah, much. Yeah, Jim's brother-in-law, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, who knows? I mean, this is it. I don't think we see him again. No. In the show. Well, in the, for the rest of the show. Yeah, other than later this the, episode. The, just this episode, yeah. yeah. So it's not a lot of character development right, here. Right, but yeah, it's just curious. It's just Betty being so excited about being back in the game. And mm-hmm. Like, everything about it she's loving. Yeah. But then later on, she and Don are, like, snuggled up in bed, and they just, like, apparently sleep with him, like, sitting kind of up on the headboard and her, like, curled into his chest, which, like, it looks nice, but that's not comfortable to sleep that way all night (laughs) no and again it's like this kind of it's the same thing they did in the first episode like these poses they like to put them in in the suburban lifestyle i mean they look so beautiful yeah it's like a holiday postcard type picture yeah merry christmas from the drapers yeah but then little sally comes in crying and she had a nightmare and she's like i don't want anyone to shoot polly like what the fuck are you talking about? Gonna just shoot your dog. And she said that the neighbor said he was going to if if because Polly hurt one of the birds. Again, unbelievable. And Don's ready to go over there at two a.m. Yeah, it's like I should go over there and talk. But he's also kind of like some of it is like him being upset with Betty. Like we leave them with a the neighbor one day and like this happens and now they're all upset. And she's like, Don, this could have happened even if I was there and. They probably didn't even tell the babysitter. They probably wouldn't have told me, frankly. Yeah. So yeah, it's not true. a matter of me being at this in the city. It's just this crappy thing that happened with our neighbor. Right. No, no, no. I, I get that. But he's still ready to go over. Yeah. Then Betty says she wants a picture one day to get a picture of Sally crying with her big tears. It's oh, like, yeah. Yeah. 
just in that model mind frame. All right, I need to see it. emotion. <laughs> then the the rats are like in Don's office, and they're like, they must have been talking about some of the other campaigns, but they're like, man, Don, like, Lucky Strike is better than ever. Right, and this is so clearly a Roger Sterling directive. It's like when the gang leader says, "She doesn't like me. You need to say good things about me." So that they like me. Oh, really? It's like just smoozing Don to get him to try and stay. Oh, yeah. I, oh, I think wow. absolutely Sterling's like, you guys need to start. I like, thought that they were just like. Putting down this shit so that he stays. How much he needs to know. Interesting. I just thought it was like they were just being annoying kiss asses for the sake of it. I don't think so. Because mm-hmm. Pete's so. Pete doesn't want to say anything. Mm-hmm. But he yeah, does. Yeah, that's true. And that's when you get that beautiful silence from Don, too. It's just like. I have to say, Don. Lucky strike, even in this lawsuit, is stronger than ever. It was a brilliant campaign. Like some supersonic jet flying right over the market. I was there. Great work. Thank you. I think it's so clear that Sterling was like, secret directive. Start complimenting Yeah, and then Don. I guess Don is like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, he knows. Why, he, why are you yeah, saying this stuff? He kind of gets it, I think, too. He's like, this is weird. <laughs> That's funny. But then, Cooper and Sterling burst into the into the meeting. And they're right. like, who is responsible for this? Right, and they're referring to the ad buy for C-Core laxatives. Yes. And uh, Don is uh, like, no one cleared this with me either. Yeah, they heard the, uh, uh, the accounts guy. Yeah. And finally... Harry is like, you know, me. And then he like keeps looking over at Pete. And Pete finally is like, oh, I was also kind of involved, even though it was his idea from the get go. Right. Just Pete just ready to throw Harry under the bus. But then when they find out that they're going to be praised, then it's not as big a problem because they're thrilled and they got it. Cooper's like, oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah. This is good cynical capitalism. Yeah. Congratulations. He froze out Kennedy from the TV, and TV is his whole medium because of how handsome he is, and now he has to go on the radio. Right. Instead of Nixon versus Kennedy ads, they're going to get Nixon and Secor laxative ads. Yeah. So let's put that pretty face away. Yep. So they're pumped. And of course, we get the undisputed Sterling's gold of the episode. <laughs> One of his great quotes of the show. I didn't think you had it in you, and I mean that. Man, it's just, God, that is it's the perfect backhanded compliment oh yeah it's just amazing it's amazing but it is a compliment (laughs) Mm -hmm. they're actually really excited and this you know leads of course to the whiskey celebrations that happen after anything good happens to these guys ever and donna's like well congrats boys like good job you made a nice little run there and then pete is so snarky peggy's in there taking notes for the meeting he's like Peggy, write that down. Don finally said congratulations, which is like this one time when my my brother either took out the trash or um, filled up and ran the dishwasher, and my dad like was making a big like huff about it. And he wrote it on like the big family calendar in the kitchen. He's like, "Look at this! I'm writing it on the calendar." <laughs> Joe fills up the dishwasher. God. Brutal. But it's just such a Pete thing to do, too. Like, after anything good happens, his confidence just skyrockets irrationally to the point where he he got fired by Don, like, four episodes ago. Right, because of this kind of thing. And he still does this again. Mm -hmm. And then, but the best part is, like, this doesn't last too long. Because he gets up to leave. And he's like, are we done here? And Don looks at him. No. No. No, sit the fuck down. We got to do, you have to do the actual work now. Yeah. 
And then they celebrate. Yeah, after that uncomfortable sit-down, Pete needs a drink. A celebratory and a conciliatory drink. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're talking about it. And, of course, they've already retconned the entire situation where Pete's like, Yeah, no, it was a great idea. You almost left me hanging there, though, bro. You know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, Yeah, they're always moving and shaking. and Let's evolve. But then, then they, like try to get Hilby to stay and drink with them because she brought ice in. And she's like, he's like, you know, when something good happens to me, it happens to you too. And she's like, yeah, I know. I said congratulations. And he tells her she should do something with that sour puss because she's very beautiful. You can shit talk Dawn. You can shit talk Betty. You can shit talk anyone in this show. But don't you dare shit talk Hildy. No, poor Hildy. And it's almost like he's, like, mimicking, like, what he thinks, like, Don would do when he gets, like, a big, like, thing at work. He's like, oh, I'm going to, like, you know, flirt with the women and, like, get them to come in and drink with me. But it doesn't work because Pete sucks and he's a creep. It is a shitty reenactment of what Don did with Peggy the last episode. And you get the two different levels of, like, charisma and, you know, actually kindness, I think. And there's not, like, a... Weird, like, sex- sexual, like, you know, right. undertone to it. Don did when it Don did it, I mean, yeah. Sincerely congratulate. Peggy and be like, congratu- hey, bud. Congratulate yeah. Peggy. Okay, bud. Yeah. Good work. And Pete did it specifically to humiliate Hildy. Yeah. And in front of all of his friends. Yep. It's horrible. Because he sucks. It's and horrible. Yeah, but they all like, laugh, of course. He's like, I love watching you walk. And he's just, like, all drunk and his tie is askew. And he's just being, you know, his frat boy self. Ugh. And it's not becoming on him. It's no. creepy. He's yeah. not a becoming person. Poor Hildy. Deserves better, but she works hard. Yeah. God bless her. <laughs> then Don gets another secret letter to his office. And this time it's the prince from the photo shoot, the Coca-Cola photo shoot with Betty and... This does not sit well with Don. Yeah. At all. Because right from this, he marches over to Roger's office. Roger is eating jello in the yeah. office. So we should have. We considered that we should have done a jello shot as our cocktail <laughs> of the week, but we figured that. Yeah, a little geriatric scene from uh, Roger here, just chilling <laughs> with jello in there. But I guess maybe it was like a new thing back in 1960. Yeah, it might have been pretty hip. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Finally. Um, Roger's like, you know, if you're going to leave, you might as well take me with you. And Don says, I don't see any reason to leave. Yeah. It's... He says, or maybe I see a million reasons. <laughs> yeah, oh, man, Don. But, I mean, you just have to think about the way Jim Hobart approached this. Yeah. To the point where it almost felt like blackmail. And that's what these two confidential packages of, like, favors Mm-hmm. They both said top secrets for Don's eyes yeah. only. And then this one is so clearly a manipulation tactic. Like, are you really going to let your wife not get this part? Yeah. And Don sees that, and yeah, that's not what tur- that's what turns him, definitely. Yeah. Hard no Bart at this point. <laughs> and, you know, so he says maybe a million reasons. Roger says, I was thinking more like 40, and Don says 45 is good. And Roger just takes it. So which? I mean, what are you gonna do? I mean, what's another five grand at this point? Which again is twenty twenty thousand dollars. But and no contract. Yes. No contract. No Don doesn't contra- want to be tied down. He's here to win. He's yeah. Up for himself. And Roger has another great line. He's like, "No contract, forty five k. What is in this for me?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
But he tells him that he likes the way he does business, and that is one thing that, you know, Jim never got the hint and couldn't buy is Roger would have never, you know, pulled this kind of shady stuff to to poach someone from another agency. And then Don has a great line that's, you know, when I if I leave this place, it's gonna be to do something completely different, basically. It won't be for more money or for you know more advertising more advertising so we get this first like real affirmation from don that he doesn't see this as an end game career in a way or an end game of his lifestyle he wants something more but it's not the money it's not the the clout um, which is interesting but he basically pledges his undying loyalty to the firm here but without a contract because you never know yes um, but yeah, so Roger tells him that he's worked with a lot of men like him and if they did choose a place to die, it would be in the middle of a pitch. And Don says, I've done that. I want to do something yeah. else. <laughs> Which we haven't really seen. Well, I guess that one, the first, the beginning, we've seen him at the beginning of pitches. Well, we have to resurrect them. I think like you could say strike. he died in the Mankin pitch. Yeah. The first time. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he walked back out. around, yeah. So maybe he sneaks out before he actually dies half the time, but Yeah. But um Don goes from, you know, making the mid high two hundreds to making about four hundred thousand dollars a year. Not a bad raise. Almost so, the double salary, yeah. basically. Yeah, he Wow. Slides right in and He knows his worth. Yeah, I mean this whole. I mean thing, they if, they yeah. don't you know they don't negotiate more. They're like okay okay forty five. And if anything, like yeah, getting courted by McCann Erickson is only gonna like kind of give you a better idea of your value. So mm-hmm. he knows what he's doing. He knows he has the leverage now on both yeah, of them. He does. And that's what he does. He goes right back and calls Hobart. Yeah, and so he gets Jim on the phone right away, mm-hmm. and Jim is like, "Yeah, aren't aren't those pictures of your wife incredible?" And yeah. Don's like, "Yeah, they are." And they're like, you know, she's over here with us. When are you going to come over? You know, we take it that you're, that she's over here, meaning that you're interested in coming over. And he's like, she does what she wants. I don't, I'm not involved in that decision. Yeah. And this isn't, Hobart understands, I think. He knows at this point. He's like, Mm -hmm. the way Don's reacting, he's very cool about this whole situation. Yes. And we learn what the firms are like. Hobart, it's like, oh, well. I don't give a fuck yeah, about I whose feelings shot, I hurt whatever. or whose feelings I will hurt. Is just tried to get you. Tried everything I could to get you. And Don harkens back to the earlier metaphor of you know it being Yankee Stadium, and he says that that wasn't a big league move. You know, yeah. you were doing something sleazy. Yeah, but Hobart counters like immediately. Going, well, it sucks to lose both of you. Just so you. Just so you understand no, what I'm fire doing. Fire your wife from this yeah. campaign because of this, and she, you're gonna have to deal with the emotional right. blowback of that. And we end with a beautiful uh, scene of two, you know, successful white men not giving a fuck at each other, and that's basically how the call yeah. ends. Just. So, so that relationship uh, was a good episode arc. Yep, um, and not to say we won't see Jim Hobart again. We will, but. Yeah, we won't see this was him a pretty, and Don and yeah. that kind of... This was a pretty definitive no. Yeah. That's for sure. No thanks. 
And I guess it's been seeming, it's been apparent to everyone in the office, not just the rats, that Don's got some other business going on because Joan comes in and interrogates Peggy about what what's going on with him, and she says, "Even if I knew, I wouldn't tell you." Right. And Joan is like, "Good, good girl. Yeah, like you. You passed the test. You learned." <laughs> but uh, that's just a good way to incite what's coming in this scene. Uh, this could be the climax of the episode. Yeah. I would say. You know, Joan at first kind of tries to talk around around it, but she remarks on what, you know, the guys were talking about behind her back is that she's noticed that Peggy has gained weight and she describes her feelings about it as being concerned for her. Yeah, but Peggy's like 15. you know, what are you talking about? Like I'm writing, I'm like I'm doing stuff that no one else in the office is doing. And Joan is like I heard that you're getting these gigs because the clients' wives aren't afraid for them to work with you. Yeah, and who knows what Joan, if Joan's saying. <laughs> no, I'm sure any, she's talking out yeah, her ass. Just talking yeah. shit. Just trying to, you know, regain the upper hand that she's lost with Peggy since Peggy got the copywriting. Yeah, book. and she's like, you know, I'm never wondering what people think of me. And Peggy's like, I know what men think of you. That you're looking for a husband and you're fun. And not in that order. Brutal. Yeah. And Joan tells her that, Peggy, this isn't China. There's no money in virginity. Yeah. So it's just, now they're just throwing out whatever they can think of. Like, now it's beyond any sort of professional conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, And it ends with one of Peggy's most savage lines to date. I just realized something. You think you're being helpful. And Joan is just oblivious. She's like, well, of course I am, dear. You know, yeah, or she's or way. she's posturing and is like not going to admit that, that she trying was trying. To, yeah, yeah, wasn't going to admit the real thing. But it, anyway, Peggy's like, oh god, yeah, and you don't understand anymore. Um, yeah, it's just and she a just walks away. Tense scene. Yeah, and so we've been building this relationship started off so like, you know, mentor mentee at the beginning of the show and the first scene with them, mm-hmm. and it's just been deteriorating the whole season. Yeah. Um, well, Joan only wants to mentor a certain like aspect of her work life, and so Peggy going outside of that is like she doesn't have an interest in like being part of part of that. You know. Right. Joan's never wanted, as far as we know, has never wanted to write. Right, and we don't know. Joan, we don't know what Joan's ambitions are. I mean, she's pretty comfortable and happy in her position of power mm-hmm. at this point but she's said so many contradictory things about peggy so far i mean last episode at the bar she's accusing peggy of using sex to get you know more opportunity when she's talking to uh lois in the bar mm-hmm. she says most things down here happen below the belts not in that you know, above in the, in the head. And then here she's accusing her of not being sexy enough. So it's like they're definitely on two different tracks of strategy. Yeah. Well, I didn't, I, yeah, I guess I took that converse, that comment from last time differently. Was that like, you know, Peggy's more doing something in like the kind of like loftier artistic side of the business rather than like the day-to-day brass tacks um i disagree i think that she says something else has to be going on here yeah because hmm. this doesn't happen here at the office well and so. that is going to be something that becomes a rumor later 
Yeah, oh yeah. So. I, I think it's already a rumor, thanks yeah. to Ken, our friend Kinsey. Yeah, about but, how she yeah got her her copywriting gigs. Right. In fact, that's where the scene goes. Yeah. Then it's the end of the day at the photo shoot for Coca-Cola, and Betty is told that there's good news and bad news. The good news is that she's got some new pictures for her portfolio, but the bad news is that they're just moving in a different direction, so she's no longer got this gig. More Audrey Hepburn, less Grace Kelly. Mm-hmm. It's kind of brutal, though, that they still did the photo shoot, and I guess they made it seem like they were doing her a favor with the pictures. You know, it, it seems like an added layer of humiliation. Well, I just don't know when in time the phone call with Jim happened, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, but either way. It's sad, and, you know, <laughs> he consoles her that she gets to keep her hair and her outfit. And he doesn't do it for everybody. Yeah. So. But she's, like, kind of crying, and, you know, he says, Honey, this has nothing to do with you. And it's kind of sad that, you know, he's he's in this, like, crappy position of having to like you know just shut down this this you know perfect kind of match for the ad that they had found because of business and And that's like that's one of those lines where you're trying to be conciliatory but if you have even one sense of the situation with don and jim Mm -hmm. that line is so hurtful yeah, it's, it's like, like oh, this it's because your husband just used you as like a bargaining chip. Yeah, and I think Betty comes to see that to an extent, though she doesn't know at this time he was not taking the job. But yeah, it's like I don't know. I think she something still took else it personally. Is, some, oh, of course, it is personal, yeah. regardless of the way. Yeah, I mean, it's personal. Either like you screwed up or you don't matter. Both of those are very personal, you know. Yeah, and uh, of course, it ends with. She doesn't get to keep the jewelry. No, they and they pretty much rip it off of yeah, her. They, and she's crying, like yeah, trying they, to hold her tears back. They strip it off her like a you know paint off an old car, basically. Yeah. Just brutal. Yeah, yeah she's you're crying. You're gone. You're done. She's get out of here. Crying. No talking. Yeah. From her and the jewelry woman. Yeah. Oof. Wolf again back at the Oof. office. The guys are the Rat Packer once again talking about Peggy. They make you know these nasty comments about her weight gain and. Finally, finally, Pete has had enough because, you know, he has a, some affection for Peggy, at yeah. least. And Cosgrove goes too far. And so he punches him in the face and right. is, like, trying to beat him down. And, like, you know, they're pulling him off each other. And and then we just get a great little cut to Roger and Don who are walking out. <laughs> and they are, don't even look at it. And Roger's like, I'll give you a ride to the train station. Don's like... Great. Sure. And they leave. So that yeah. is your management style for you. They don't this, give a shit. this doesn't seem to be out of the ordinary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they just leave. Yeah. And Kinsey is like, you guys need to make up because you guys were just in a fight and no one's going to want to, you know, I've got no chance with the ladies because you guys are like I need, scrapping. I need my wingmen so to I be on to, the same team. I need to look like I, I helped you reconcile. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, again, just jump in there with that self interest. Yep. But. As everyone does. Hey, can you blame him? <laughs> so back at home. Back to Austining. Yep. Betty basically, she again kind of like rewrites the narrative of what happened. You know, she tells Dawn that it was her decision. She's like, you know, I was there and like I just don't like being away from the home and you, you know, not having time to 
put together a beautiful meal for you. I don't like to be in Manhattan by myself. So I decided I'm not going to do any modeling. I'm not going to pursue this. Yeah, another Pete parallel where she refuses to tell the truth to her spouse in a situation because it makes her look weak yeah, and like a failure. Uh, it's just like Pete did to Trudy when his dad wouldn't give him any money. Yeah. And it's just like they right. can't bear to not be like perfect. dent that image yeah but it's tough it's tough especially because don like knows that she's yeah. been fired yeah but he's not gonna say that because he's not gonna embarrass her but so he's like yeah okay right it's really uncomfortable and he didn't really want her to do this anyway yeah and you don't know if that's because of this particular situation where you know jim hobart was gonna use using this, this. Like, against him yeah but or whether he just doesn't want that so yeah. it's interesting he plays it really oh. well you know compliments her food and he's like you know it's my job to give you what you want so you know whatever you want and you know she's like how could i be unhappy with all this well <laughs> the home the kids etc etc he says you know you don't i don't care about dinner and fixing my shirts your job is to be a mom, and you're in, like, the top top 500 for sure. Right, even though he said earlier about the dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and top 500, I guess that's good in New York City. I don't know if that's a compliment. But it's Don's kind of cheeky Yeah, yeah, he's, playfulness. he's being goofy. But he, he says he would have given anything to have a mother like her filled with love like an angel. And we know that to be true. Yeah. Like, that is a very he true based on... He did not have a good... Mother situation growing up, but also as we kind of get to know Betty's character, you wonder if that's like the best description of her mothering. Well, yeah, there's a lot to be angelically loving. We've got a long way to go. That's (laughs) for sure. It's true. Um, Yeah, but then you know the next morning she's getting breakfast ready, back at home like normal in her nighty. Don is getting ready to go out to work. She's bopping around does the laundry and then they're gonna she, go watch them fill the pool yeah which that's is a like, big day what a, what a big, big summer day the kids spring are pumped. day yeah it's yeah like, oh my goodness no wonder you're <laughs> trying to get back to the city yeah um you know then she's like sitting she's sitting alone smoking for a while contemplating and then she goes outside in her nightgown with her hair done cigarette oh. still in hand and then just pops in her mouth and starts to shoot down the pigeons from the neighbors next door. Yeah, why not one more Pete parallel to end the show? When they've <laughs> had a day full of failure, they go and buy a gun. A gun or get take a gun. Out, and take out some try stress. And exhibit some power. And the neighbor freaks out, and it's great. Yeah. Betty looks badass in this yeah, scene. Yeah, like, she does. She just looks like, so cool. Yeah, like a Rambo style. Just like, taking, perfect taking nails, down. like big ass ring, cigarette, looks perfect, and just yeah. shooting. And just pure vindictiveness on her face not for any reason just she's just had enough like don't you ever threaten to kill my daughter's pet i think you you know know, she's like she's had a she's had a tough week with you know feeling like she was kind of reconnecting to another part of herself and then just being rejected and so now she's taking out power where she can and she's like i might not be able to get to model again but i'm gonna like be a mom that doesn't let you fuck around with my kids. Yeah, no, I fucking own this neighborhood. Don't yeah. you forget it. Yeah. So it, it's a bizarre ending to, <laughs> but it's, yeah. to the episode. Memorable. Yeah, it's truly memorable. memorable. And there we are. Yeah. Wow, season one, episode nine. We are cruising through season cruising. one. Oh, my yeah. God. I know. Only three left? Three or four? four? I think. Oh, wow. 
Well, it's only going to get better from here. That's yeah, now sure. that we have a microphone, it's r- literally going <laughs> to get better. <laughs> Cigarette still in hand and then just pops in her mouth and starts to shoot down the pigeons from the neighbors next door. Yeah, why not one more Pete parallel to end the show when they've <laughs> had a day full of failure, they go and buy a gun, a gun or get a gun out, and take out some stress, exhibit some power. And the neighbor freaks out, and it's great. Yeah. Betty looks badass in this yeah, scene. Yeah, like, she does. She looks just like, so cool. Yeah, like a Rambo style. Just like taking, perfect taking nails, down. like big-ass ring, cigarette, looks perfect, and just yeah. shooting. And just pure vindictiveness Shit. on her face like, not for any reason just she's just had enough I'm like don't you ever yeah. threaten to kill my daughter's pet i think you, you know? know she's like she's had a she's had a tough week with you know feeling like she was kind of reconnecting to another part of herself and then just being rejected and so now she's taking out power where she can and she's like i might not be able to get to model again but i'm gonna like be a mom that doesn't let you fuck around with my kids. Yeah, no, I fucking own this neighborhood. Don't yeah. you forget it. Yeah. So it, it's a bizarre ending to, <laughs> but it's, yeah. to the episode. Memorable. Yeah, it's truly memorable. memorable. And there we are. Yeah. Wow, season one, episode nine. We are cruising through season cruising. one. Oh, my yeah. God. I know. Only three left? Three or four? four? I think. Oh, wow. Okay, let's recap this. We've already decided on Sterling's gold. It's not even close. Yep. (laughs) And that is, of course, my best quote of the episode. It's one of the best quotes in this season, maybe in the series. It's just Roger boiled down to his essence of crushing people through compliments. No one does it better. Yeah. Do you have a quote? Um, Yeah, I mean, I like that one. I also liked both Joan and Peggy's quotes when they were having that kind of tense conversation where Peggy says I know what men think of you I think that you're looking for a husband and you're fun and not in that order and Joan's response that um that there's no money in virgin this isn't China there's no money in virginity yeah really snappy scene between both of them yeah and good, really just good back and of, forth you know articulating like the contrasting um, expectations for women and like values for women and so yeah it was it was just clever um best outfit gosh there are two from betty that are just both iconic very different two very different ones which is the cute little red and blue mini dress that she had designed specially for her by by johnny by johnny (laughs) (laughs) when she was a muse to a fashion designer when she lived in italy yeah hard not to go with that one that's probably where i would go but i also loved her go see outfit that was wholly inappropriate for the situation but she looked spectacular she looked like grace kelly like a real life princess yeah no doubt and yeah it was definitely betty's Usually it's Betty's fashion episodes when Mankin's not around. Betty yeah. T- Betty takes the lead in that front. For so. these first few seasons, at least. That's for yeah. sure. Who are you going to promote? Promoting Betty. Going out and, like, again, just, like, asserting herself, even though it turned out to, to not go how she wanted. She, you know, she got a boost of confidence from modeling and um, did it even though she could tell Dawn wasn't happy about it. And then because she... Really made a name for herself in the neighborhood and just, you know, dominated over people trying to control her family, which is her domain, and she's not going to let you 
jump in on it. Yeah, good message for all you capitalists out there. You can take an L and still move on up. At least <laughs> yes. in this podcast, oh, yeah. you can. Yeah. What about you? For sure, promoting Don. Mm-hmm. He literally yeah. basically got promoted in the episode. Yeah, uh, that'd I be mean, my other choice. Doubled his salary to half a mil in today's money, <laughs> and really played everything right. Yeah, didn't, he didn't get Roger mad too mad at him. Didn't really make an enemy with a Hobart, Mm-mm. but also said that. And then, even though he knew more of what was going on than Betty did with the whole casting situation. Did his best to dance around it well, I think, yeah. and, and did a good job. Yeah, and still made her feel good about her value. And, and of course, I'm not going to ever promote Don unless he slaps down Pete once in the episode, <laughs> and he does here. So, yeah. the, you know, it's of just course, a it's just a good Don uh, win across the board yeah. in this one. that's a good pick. Who Ooh. are you going to fire? I'm going to fire Joan. Oof. Because she just, like, you know, all she did was do her fake helpful thing to Peggy while condescend being condescending to her and like knocking her down and chastising her for not meeting, you know, her own expectations she has for herself, you know, and how she presents herself to the world. And it's just like unnecessary, petty, petty bullshit. Yeah. It's becoming a theme for me, but I'm going to fire Pete. (laughs) Um, I mean, he just, again, does... Everything. Every time we see Don do everything right in an episode, mm-hmm. Pete just does everything wrong. Comes up with a great idea, too scared to take credit for it when it comes around because he thinks it might not be a good idea. Okay, then he's going to get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Then once it is considered a good idea, sneaks his way in for a bit of credit, talks shit to Don, which is his boss. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the taboo of the early seasons, you can't. Treat Hildy like dirt. Oh, you just yeah. can't. Come on. He got a few points back for fighting Cosgrove, Cosgrove uh, over the Peggy comments, but it just wasn't Not enough. enough. Just yeah. wasn't enough for Pete. So <laughs> yeah. kick him out again. Fair enough. Um, and then the ranking. So yeah. on IMDb. Yeah, season one, episode nine, shoot, is ranked an 8.3, uh, which is good for 53 through 58. Uh, tied uh, out of 92. Um, so a decent rating for this episode. Uh, falls right behind the Hobo Code in terms of the highest episode so far and right above the pilot. Yeah, so, it's above the Hobo Code for me. That's As you I saw, I did end up knocking the Hobo Code at 5 out of 8 on my rankings. Mm-hmm. We, we post the rankings on Instagram so we don't right. just like list them every time. That's boring. Yeah. Um, this one I would say it's like in the top... Maybe three to four. I'll have to look at them again. It's definitely like a couple steps above Hobo Code, but it's not It's not the best we've seen quite yet. Yeah, no, it's still hard to put this ahead. For me personally, I loved the Hobo Code. That one's still ahead of this one, and so is um, the Don Draper Revenge Tour, of course, mm-hmm. is still my number one of this season. I yeah. would put this at, I think, four. Um, I think yeah. it's a really good episode. It's really, it's got that signature Mad Men, you know, quick lightning dialogue with also some really just weird moments. Yeah. And especially, it's just a great last scene to yeah. the episode. Uh, I love when they play some old timey song and then have the characters do something so fucking badass. Like yeah, that. it's like, super. Like Betty just shooting pigeons yeah. in the suburban New York. So it's great. It's great. Yeah. I mean, the show is really just cruising now, and 
it's just so much it's fun to keep, watch everyone. It's going to keep escalating up until our finale, too. Yeah, and that is Season 1, Episode 9. We appreciate you all. Uh, if you like us, right. rate us, write a review even. Um, follow us on Instagram, too, where we post. We post videos showing showing the drinks being made. We post some of the pictures of like the best outfit and stuff like that. And so that's at Mad Men and, to- and Tonic and written out A-N-D. And we and hope everyone's staying cool out there and staying healthy. And mm-hmm. we will see you next week for Double Digits, Episode 10. Oh, boy. Oh, boy.